from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Strange Arrivals is a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild from Aaron Mankey. For the best experience, listen with headphones. The second floor of the Palazzo Vecchio in Florence contains three sets of apartments appointed with frescoes, tapestries, and artwork dating back as far as the Renaissance. Among the group of apartments known as the Apartments of the Elements is the Hercules Room. And in the Hercules Room is a circular portrait of the Madonna and Child and the infant St. John, whose creation has been attributed to a number of artists, including Filipino Lippi. It's about what you'd expect from a Renaissance painting with that title. Mary prays above the infant Jesus, who reaches out to her while being held by the infant St. John. Strangely, though, an object appears to hover in the air in the background above Mary's shoulder. A closer look reveals a football-shaped entity, light gray on top, darker on the bottom, with yellow spikes emerging like beams of light. In the background, a robed man with a dog looks up at the object. What is going on here? I was finishing a book on the Catholic doctrine of purgatory, in which it was a huge project. I went to archives all over. And what I was looking at is Catholics used to do devotions to souls in purgatory, and that all kind of stopped and they don't do those anymore. And I wanted to know why. I am Diana Pasolka, and I'm a professor at the University of North Carolina in Wilmington. And my field has been in Catholic history and Catholic traditions. I found the reasons for that, and I wrote a book about it. But I also found that Catholics had a lot of experiences of aerial phenomena from basically a thousand years ago till now. And because the Catholic Church takes pretty good notes, they're known for their record keeping. And I've been to the Vatican Library and Secret Archive and looked at a lot of the documents there. I found that there were all of these aerial phenomena incidences, and the frameworks for understanding those were basically religious. 
they'd see something like a disc in the sky and they'd call it an angel or they'd call it a demon or they'd call it a lost soul from purgatory. And at this point, it never occurred to me that these are like kind of like UFOs, but they were. They were unidentified objects that then were identified through Catholic frameworks. Normally, when someone sees something that they can't explain, they try to understand it according to their belief framework. A Renaissance Italian sees a disc and uses a Catholic framework to perceive it as a demon or angel. People now are culturally ready to identify them as UFOs, visitors from space, or another dimension. But what happens when the belief in UFOs becomes the framework that a person uses to interpret things that happen in the world around them? That is, what happens when you look at strange things that occur in people's lives and you interpret them with the assumption that the cause is most likely UFOs? This season on Strange Arrivals, we will look at people who are not only sure that UFOs are from somewhere else, but have put UFOs at the center of their worldviews. What happens when they become involved in investigating hard-to-explain events? How does their presence affect our perception of the event and even the experiencer's own understanding of what they've been through? But to begin the season, we'll set a baseline by looking at a case that didn't attract prominent UFO investigators and see how the witnesses understood their encounter. I'm Toby Ball, and this is Strange Arrivals. Episode 1, Boyani. On July 15th, 1959, an Anglican missionary named Father William Gill, stationed at the Boyani Mission in Papua New Guinea, wrote a letter to Father Norman Crutwell, who was at the Anglican Mission in Manapi, also in Papua New Guinea. The letter began, Dear Norman, here is a lot of material, the kind you've been waiting for, no doubt. But I am in some ways sorry that it has to be me who supplies it. As issues at Dagura, in respect of my sanity, vary greatly, and like all madmen, I myself think my grey cells are okay. This was essentially a cover letter for a collection of documents that Gill had sent to Crutwell. Together, they told the story of a week that began when a distant light was sighted, one that seemingly could not be explained. The week ended with an encounter that occurred over three days and was witnessed by 38 people, including Gill, other personnel at the mission, and local Papuans. So you might be wondering, where is Papua New Guinea? Papua New Guinea is the eastern portion of the island known as either Papua or New Guinea. The western portion is a province of Indonesia. While Papua New Guinea is now an independent commonwealth, in 1959, when these events occurred, it was overseen by Australia, which is only 80 miles across the Arafura Sea from the southern tip of the island. Father Gill and Father Crutwell were two Australian missionaries at tiny missionary stations around Goodenough Bay, part of the peninsula that makes up the easternmost part of the island. Dagura, which Gill mentions in his letter, is the headquarters of the Anglican diocese in this area. On June 21st, five days before the first mass sighting, a teacher evangelist named Stephen Moy, 
who was stationed at Boyani along with Father Gill, saw a light in the early hours of the morning. This is Gill from a speech given later in 1959 in England, recounting his conversation with Moy after Moy's sighting. Moy is referred to here as Stephen Moy Gill. One of my head teachers, native Papua teachers, by the name of Stephen Moy Gill, which uh, might sound rather suspicious, <laughs> he um, came to me and said, last Sunday night, I saw a rather strange thing. You know all there is to know about strange things. You tell me what it is. He wrote a report about this event for Gill. It began with Moy walking out of his house at one in the morning. The text of the report is read by an actor. I saw a bright white light silently coming out of a sky from a point about a quarter of a mile out to sea, slightly west of Boyanai Mission Station. It descended from what seemed to be a great height, and I thought at first it was a falling star. He watched for what he estimated to be about three minutes as it descended and moved to the east along the coast. It settled at what Moy guessed to be about 300 feet above the sea. There it remained stationary for perhaps half a minute and gradually decreased in brilliance until the shape of an inverted saucer could be discerned, which was tilted backwards with part of the base visible. The object then moved upwards and disappeared from view into the clouds. Moy also mentioned to Gill his first impression upon glimpsing the light. I thought it was a light similar to those dropped by planes during the war. This would be World War II. Here's Gill again, talking about his questions to Moy after the sighting. He described an object over the sea, and I asked him all kinds of questions about it, its size, its shape, was it like a sixpence, was it like a plate? And each time he came back, he said, no, it was like a saucer. This is the nearest thing that I can relate it to. In fact, This was not the first time unexplained lights had been seen in the area. In a strange coincidence, the day before he had his first sighting at Boyani, Gill wrote a letter to Reverend David Dury, the acting principal of St. Aidan's College in Dagura, an institution for training teacher evangelists such as Stephen Moy. There have been quite a number of reports over the months from reliable witnesses. The peculiar thing about these most recent reports is that the UFOs seem to be stationary at Boyani or to travel from Boyani. I myself saw a stationary white light twice on the same night on April 9th. I do not doubt the existence of these things, but my simple mind still requires scientific evidence before I can accept the from outer space theory. I am inclined to believe that probably many UFOs are more likely some form of electric phenomena or perhaps something brought about by the atom bomb explosions. Etc. Then, addressing Moy's sighting four days prior, he wrote, That Stephen should actually make out a saucer could be the work of the unconscious mind, as it is very likely that at some time he has seen illustrations of some kind in a magazine. It is all too difficult to understand for me. He signed off, Yours, Doubting William. Gill acknowledged that he didn't question Moy's version of his sighting. In fact, he referenced both his and others' similar experiences. But he maintained that he did not think that these lights warranted any undue attention. The very next day, June 26, Gill again wrote to Dury. But this time, his attitude toward the lights was entirely different. Dear David, 
Life is strange, isn't it? Yesterday I wrote you a letter expressing opinions, re the UFOs. Now, less than 24 hours later, I have changed my views somewhat. Last night, we at Boyani experienced about four hours of UFO activity, and there is no doubt whatsoever that they are handled by beings of some kind. At times, it was absolutely breathtaking. Here is the report. This time, he signed off. Cheers, convinced Bill. What had happened to cause this change of heart? Father Gill sent a report on the events of that night and the two that followed to Father Norman Crutwell. We heard the beginning of the cover letter earlier in this episode. Father Gill had taken careful notes of what he observed during the encounter. Again, from his 1959 speech in England. This is what I've been waiting for. This is the sort of thing that nobody will believe unless I write it down. In fact, I won't believe it unless I write it down either, because you know how it is, especially in the tropics. Uh, I didn't have any whiskey on board, but you never know that people might, might or might not believe that. I wrote this down, minute by minute. Whenever anything happened, I put it down. And it was just as simple as that. I had a rather academic approach to it. I was not excited. Not that I remember. Certainly, I was a, had a calm enough mind to be able to record the events without any trouble. Crutwell used Gill's report and his own investigation to author a three-part article that appeared in the November 1961 and January and March 1962 editions of the APRO Bulletin, the newsletter of the prominent at the time Aerial Phenomena Research Organization, based in the United States. The text of this report reads, Father Gill had just had his dinner and came out of the front door of the mission house. There's a small patch of lawn, a few trees, including coconut palms, and then a drop of perhaps 50 feet to the shingle beach below. He casually glanced at the sky and looked for Venus, which was conspicuous at the time. In his own words, I saw Venus, but I also saw this sparkling object, which to me was peculiar because it sparkled and because it was very, very bright. And it was above Venus, so that caused me to watch it for a while. And then I saw it descend towards us. Stephen Gill Moy, who joined Father Gill a few minutes later, described it as shining with a bright white light, like a Tilly lamp. A Tilly lamp is a kerosene lamp, the kind that many people use when camping. Stephen remarks that it appeared to wax and wane in brightness as though it was approaching and receding. The object eventually came fairly close and maintained that distance. This is Father Gill relating this sighting many years later in the strange 1977 film, UFOs Are Here, The Deo Diaries. They're just hovering, not very far high up, maybe two or 300 feet up in the air and glowing and two bipods jutting out from uh, underneath it and sparkling all around. In his 1959 speech, Gill gave further details about the appearance of the craft. An outline of the saucer, separated portion or a dark portion between it and this sparkling light. So there's a light outline, darkness and the object itself. That is most 
spirit. Another nice little thing is the shaft of blue electric light emanating from the top of the craft up towards the heavens. So an electric blue light, rather, I think I described it as a, as a pencil with light. Again, from the text of Crutwell's report. Father Gill states that it changed from a brilliant white light when it was far off to a dull yellow or perhaps pale orange when it was close. When asked whether he thought it was metallic, he answered, Well, it appeared solid, certainly not transparent or gaseous. We just assumed that it was metallic from our own experience of things that travel and carry men. All witnesses agree that it was circular, that it had a wide base and a narrow upper deck, that it had a type of legs beneath it, that it produced at times a shaft of blue light which shone upwards into the sky at an angle of about 45 degrees. So to summarize, Gill and his companion saw a light descend to within a fairly close distance to where they stood on the shore at which point they could see that it was a craft of some type. It was saucer-shaped and lit, with an additional light beam reaching into the sky. There also seemed to be a light that is somewhat separate from the craft, hovering close to it. But this was not all they saw. After the break. Strange Arrivals will return in a moment. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Father William Gill and a group of other missionaries and local people had watched a light approach until it came close enough to make out that it was a physical craft hovering above the ocean. When we think about a classic flying saucer or UFO, I think we picture a craft that is fully enclosed, like an airplane. But Gill reported that this craft had a deck, like a boat, 
from his 1959 speech. And on this deck, Gill and the assembled crowd saw figures. From Crutwell's report. As we watched it, men came out from this object and appeared on the top of it, on what seemed to be a deck on top of a huge disc. There were four men in all, occasionally two, then one, then three, then four. We noted the various times the men appeared. And then later on, all those witnesses who were quite sure that our records were right and that they agreed with them and saw the men at the same time as I did, were able to sign their names as witnesses of what we assumed to be human activity or beings of some sort on the object itself. Gill also remarked about the way the blue light reflected on the figures on the craft, in addition to a general glow that he said surrounded them, but didn't actually touch them, that there was some gap between them and the light. He further explained that in his observations, the men seemed to be illuminated in two ways. A, by reflected light, as men seen working high up on a building at night, caught by the glare of an oxyacetylene torch and B, by this curious halo which outlined them, following every contour of their figures, and yet did not touch them. In fact, they seemed to be illuminated themselves in the same way as the machine was. Gill was asked whether the men might have been wearing some kind of spacesuits. His reply, according to Crutwell's report, was, I couldn't say. It may be so. That would seem to be a possible explanation of the double outline, but I couldn't see any such suits. Crutwell's report continues. I asked him whether he could see any details, such as the colour of their skins. He replied that they were too far away to see such details, but that he would say they were probably pale. As for the details of their bodies, all he could be sure of was that they had an outline of normal human beings from the waist up. Their legs were hidden by the sides of the craft. If wearing clothes, they were very tight-fitting. In addition to the craft with the figures on board, there were other, smaller objects, Crutwell uses the word discs, that moved around more than the larger craft. They are described as moving erratically, sometimes fast, sometimes slow, coming closer and then retreating, occasionally swinging back and forth like a pendulum. Several witnesses later drew pictures of the bigger ship. While there are minor differences in things such as the number of legs descending from the bottom, they're clearly the same object. A round disc, perhaps fairly thick, with a smaller structure resting on top on which the figures walked. There are interesting differences in perspective as well, with some drawings depicting the angle at which the object was sighted and others showing the object straight on, though during the sighting, they were always looking up at it. At 9.30 that night, after nearly three hours, the crafts finally departed, wavering slightly, then taking off at great speed. The largest of them eventually receded to a distance where it was merely a pinpoint in the sky and then vanished. And there the encounter ended, for that night. 
Because at about six o'clock the next evening, a Papuan medical assistant named Anne Lori Barewa called to Father Gill that the large UFO had returned. Gill arrived on the scene around two minutes after six and saw what he thought was the largest of the craft from the previous night. It seemed a little smaller, but he attributed that to it probably being further away. Then Gill called for the others to come see the object. He reported to Crutwell, Although the sun had set, it was quite light for the following 15 minutes. We watched figures appear on top, four of them. There is no doubt that they were human. This is possibly the same object that I took to be the mothership last night. Two smaller UFOs were seen at the time, stationary, one above the hills, west, and another overhead. On the large one, two of the figures seemed to be doing something near the center of the deck. They were occasionally bending over and raising their arm as though adjusting or setting up something, not visible. One figure seemed to be standing, looking down at us, a group of about a dozen. This figure stood with his hands on the rail, looking over, just as Father Gill said, quote, one will look over the rails of a ship. At this point, Father Gill decided to wave to the figures on the craft to see if he could make contact with them. From the movie, UFOs Are Here, The Deo Diaries. And so we waved. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could get this object down onto the playing field? And as we waved, wondering whether we'd get some recognition and whether perhaps they would understand what we wanted, they waved back. Here's Gill, as told to Crutwell in his report. There seemed to be no doubt that our movements were answered. All the mission boys made audible gasps of either joy or surprise. Gill and his companions proceeded to flash lights on and off towards the craft and perceived that these offerings were acknowledged by the craft, which would make a slight dip in reply. They then returned to waving, but the figures on the craft had returned to whatever it was they had been doing. They were more interested in what they were doing on the craft than in us. This was the impression we got. It, I think in my report, you will see that they waved and then they carried on with to carry on with whatever the business was. It was 6.30 at this point, and Gill and his companions left the scene for dinner. After dinner, they saw that the big UFO was still there, though it might have receded somewhat. They then decided to go ahead with the day's evensong, a church service traditionally held near sunset. Just prior to the evening service, about 7 o'clock, the thing was there again. It had arrived about an hour earlier. And we all decided to have the normal theme song that we do have on those uh, nights because, uh, well, the thing was out there outside the church anyway and, and uh, we felt it wouldn't go away during the service. And it didn't. And when we came out, there it was, still up in the sky. And so for another hour or two, we watched. And then suddenly it did go. And there was this amazingly incredible speed that the whole craft disappeared to nothing uh, across the bay in a matter of a second or so. This was the end of the second night of the encounter, and the one that seems to have had the most impact on Father Gill. When you listen to him talk about these encounters, there is, of course, the amazement of seeing a craft like this descend from the skies and hover in view. 
there is the appearance of four figures, for want of a better description, the crew of the craft. But what seems to really stay with him is that he, through his wave and their reply, communicated with things that while they looked human, were most likely not. Another very vivid expression remains there without any doubt at all in my own mind, in any case, that I saw it. But this, in fact, is one thing which I just can't count by out of my mind, that something that looked human waved in this apparent response the way it waved with the beginning. The third night of the encounter was far less dramatic than the first two. In fact, in Crutwell's article in the APRO Bulletin, the third night is reduced to a brief timeline, starting with 6 p.m. when apparently someone looked for a UFO in the sky without success. By 6.45, one had appeared, though it was very high and almost directly overhead. By 9, there were three arranged in a nearly straight line. At 11, eight UFOs, the largest number seen at one time over the course of the nights, were arrayed in the sky. One appeared to be fairly low, but there was no sign of activity on the deck. And that's the end of the report for the third and final night of this unusual encounter. In trying to explain what Gill and his companions saw over those three nights, there seems to me to be two different things going on. One is the number of small objects, which are mostly referred to as lights. Alan Hynek, who was the best-known UFO researcher at the time, looked into this encounter, including interviewing Gill and other witnesses. He concluded that these smaller objects were, not entirely surprisingly, misidentified bright stars and planets. This happens all the time, but Hynek didn't have an explanation for the larger object. And that, of course, is why this sighting is so interesting. The bigger craft with the figures on top. I am not aware of another modern report, such as the one from Boyani, with figures actually atop a craft while it hovers in the air. Because the craft was positioned over the sea, the obvious answer would be that they mistook a ship for an aerial craft. But how could this be true if dozens of witnesses perceived it as being at least a couple hundred feet in the air? A likely explanation is a phenomenon called the Fata Morgana, which is a particular kind of mirage that occurs just above the horizon. It is caused by a temperature inversion, when a layer of warm air sits above a layer of cool air, resulting in the bending of light rays. This kind of mirage will cause objects to appear distorted, or possibly in this case, to appear above the surface on which they are, in fact, resting. Thus, a ship appears to hover above the sea rather than rest in it. And a boat is hinted at in Gill's description of the men on top of the craft. He describes one of the figures on the craft as standing with his hands on the rail, looking over, just as one will look over the rails of a ship. If, in fact, this is the case, Gill and his companions might have been observing a squid boat. Squid boats are strung with lights that hang on beams off to the sides of the ship to attract squid to the surface where they can be caught. They also sometimes have antenna poles that are illuminated by the ship's lights and can look like what Gill called a pencil-quick line reaching towards the sky. Is this a certain identification? No. 
But Gill acknowledged that, though he felt this was not the case, it was possible that he and the others had seen a ship at sea. Can he be absolutely sure that they weren't just people on the deck of a ship offshore? No, I can't. I can't be sure about anything. All I can be sure about is the image that I have in my mind of what I saw. It's hard to picture a squid boat moving away from Gill at incredible speeds, but that could be a product of the distorting effects of the Fata Morgana, or perhaps the squid boat shut off some of its lights so that it appeared to get smaller, which would have been interpreted as it being further away. What's interesting to me is that Gill doesn't seem too concerned about convincing people about what he saw. Here he is from the movie UFOs Are Here, the Deo Diaries. People claiming to see uh, things such as I did. There were 38 of us, and we all believe that we saw it, but of course we don't expect other people to believe us if, we, if they don't want to. And it strikes me that Gill doesn't try to integrate the story into his religious beliefs or philosophical outlook. He simply sees something and reports on it. But this is often not the case. Many times, people who experience a UFO encounter or simply believe that encounters happen either add UFOs to their existing beliefs and in the process alter those beliefs, or they build a belief framework around their belief in UFOs. This season on Strange Arrivals. The children came back from school and they had all of these stories about this device that had crashed in the school grounds. I actually saw this crash in the trees. I feel sure that the children feel that they did see something. He had a big head and big black eyes and was dressed in a black body. These accounts are so vivid and so consistent and so credible. This thing rose up in the air and followed their car. I'm looking at the top of the stairs, and there's this little blue alien. It's as if the aliens come through a screen. They shatter one reality and come into this reality. This was going to be like their revelation to the world. Look at this great stuff, this great proof that we have. There is a creative intelligence at work here trying to reach us, to create some kind of a connection. They were transformed by the experience and in touch with a spiritual epiphany. People are saying that the aliens came to warn us something's going to happen, that something bad is going to happen to the Earth. He was deliberately implanting false memories, and I lost my ability to think critically. Strange Arrivals is a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild from Aaron Mankey. This episode was written and hosted by Toby Ball and produced by Rima El Kayali, Jesse Funk, and Noemi Griffin, with executive producers Alexander Williams, Matt Frederick, and Aaron Mankey, and supervising producer Josh Thane, with voice acting by David Burton, Joshua Longhurst, and William Clapton. And special thanks to Wendy Connors, creator of the Faded Discs archive of UFO-related audio on archive.org. Learn more about the show at grimandmild.com slash strangearrivals. And find more podcasts from iHeartRadio by visiting the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.